Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. This is the Abby Normal Podcast, here to tell you that you're weird and that's normal. Today we're going to have some fun with friends in the Seattle art scene. A little music, some theater, and some illicit drug use. Seattle was the set of one of my favorite 90s movies, Singles, which had what I felt like was the best soundtrack. There was Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Mother Love Bone, Chris Cornell. I had that baby on tape and played it on repeat. And I'm just putting this together right now, but I think it's also the scene of 10 Things I Hate About You, which is another one of my 90s favorites. You know our friend Jen from the Growing on the Road episode? She was a rock and roll caterer. Yes, that's a real thing. And her stories remind me of the type of music obsession that I had in high school. Though country music wasn't my preferred genre, listen to this note about a concert we were going to. I am so excited about Clay Walker, as in breathing his air and handing over the roses and grabbing onto him and never letting go. And then we get put on the 11 o'clock news, quote, four girls were arrested tonight after attacking Clay Walker. Clay suffered minor injuries such as loss of hair, teeth marks, and multiple bruises. Wow. So anyway, Jen's going to tell us how she played it cool with her celeb clients. But we start the conversation with me asking her what kind of 90s boy she was into. I heard it on the radio. I mean, those were the, like, for sure the bowl cut days. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Like, Devin Sawa was, like, the cute theme beat guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I think back to all the guys I had crushes on, like, bowl cut, the, like, swoopy kind of hair. Right. It's very grungy style those Mm -hmm. days, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Was there any, like, personality traits? So even back then, I did an awful lot of chasing of the aloof dude. Right. Totally. Yeah. yeah. But like too cool for this. Yes. Super aloof. Yeah. Unavailable. Like what's his name from my so-called life? Yep. Yes. 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 Who I met once and is like so short, by the way. Jared Leto. Yes. <laughs> so short. I catered a show for him because he he's in a band. Yeah, yeah. 30 know. Seconds to yes, Mars. Yeah. yeah. Which I didn't know he was in that band. I was like catering for the band. And I was like, that guy looks an awful lot like Jared Leto. Like with the eyes. Because he has those very distinct eyes, uh-huh. right? And I was like, is that? And I was like, oh my God, it is. And then I had to Google it on my phone. I was like, oh shit. Like he's a lead singer of this band. I had no clue. But also he's like 5'3". <laughs> I'm so disappointed right now. <laughs> He's so short. <laughs> like, so tiny. My exact thought was, oh my god, I would break that man. <laughs> That's like all actors, though. They're all tiny. It is true. It's all, yeah, it is true. They're all, they're almost all shorter than Yeah. Than What's the hot guy from, um, shit. Oh, Full House. Full House. Okay, the hot dad from Full House. What's his name? Stamos. Yes, John Stamos. We saw him at Disneyland, and he is 
also 5'3". Yeah. Tiny. Yeah. They're all so short. So weird. Yeah. It was really interesting. I remember also catering for Keith Urban, who mm-hmm. is so sweet. Like, one of the sweetest men. Okay, the country guy, right? Yes. Yeah. But also so short. Like, 5'4". <laughs> like, I was like... And I was just laughing the whole time because he is Nicole Kidman's second husband. Right. And she, of course, was married to Tom Cruise, who was also like 5'4". Yes. And I was like, really, woman? Like, she's 5'10 or something. Really? Yeah. She's super tall. It was like, can, like two in a row, huh? Like okay. She's into it. Apparently. Cool. I know. Short has never been my thing. Do you have any other good rock and roll behind the scenes stories? My, well, I, I can tell you my favorite story. Your favorite, yeah. I got to cater Thanksgiving for Allison Chains in the drummer's house. They were coming back on a reunion tour, and their first show was the day after Thanksgiving in Seattle, which is, of course, where everyone's from. And so everyone ha- had flown in for the show, and so they were going to have Thanksgiving at the drummer's house. And I managed to make a deal with my boss and pulled the gig so i got to hang out with the entire band in their in this guy's house and their families and like some of the roadies that have been around with them for a long time and they catered out the whole thing so i didn't actually have to do anything um i was just kind of there like helping with little bits and pieces i like cleared dishes at some point it was like very silly and of course like i grew up in the 80s and 90s in Seattle, like Allison Chains is iconic. And so I get there and I'm hanging out in the kitchen and Jerry Cantrell walks in and like tosses his hair. And I was like, I can't believe this is happening. And later that day, I had gone out to smoke a cigarette and I went to light it and I turned around and Jerry was standing there and he like had a lighter out and he lit my cigarette and I had to do a lot of deep breathing and not like freak <laughs> out. Like, <laughs> Jerry Cantrell just lit my cigarette. Um, and the band had been so sweet to me all day. They found out I was from Seattle and they were flabbergasted. They were like, what? Your family is here? And I was like, yeah, my family's here. And they're like, you're spending Thanksgiving with us rather than your family? Oh, my God. Thank you so much. And I want to be like, I don't know too many people who wouldn't choose this rather than spending time with their family. <laughs> right. But cool. Um, and so I was hanging out in the kitchen and we were getting ready for dessert. And they had asked me to make whipped cream, which is about the simplest thing in the world to make. And so I'm making the whipped cream. And the new lead singer who had who was this was his first time joining the band on tour he had come up behind me and he put his hands on my hips and like his chin on my shoulder and was like kind of doing the like, like what you, he was like, what you doing there? Um, the kind of like looking over, you know, and I said, I'm making whipped cream. And he was like, really? Like, sounds complicated. And I was like, it's really not. But <laughs> <laughs> sure. Right. Like you, <laughs> you can, you can flirt with me all you want. This is really right. adorable. Thanks. Like, <laughs> right. Appreciate it. Feeling pretty good about myself right now. And um, (laughs) fast forward to 20 minutes later, we're all standing around the island in the kitchen with pie. And everyone's got like a plate of pie. And um, (laughs) the new lead singer, Samson William, he was like, I mean, this pie is okay, but this whipped cream is the best whipped cream I have ever had. And she's the cutest smile I've ever seen. (laughs) 
And your life was complete. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. They tried so hard to get me to stay, but the deal I had made with my boss was that I would for sure not get caught in any closets with any of the band members. Yeah. And so I had to leave. From a, from a business perspective, that's the right thing. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. They were adorable, though. And we had a lot of fun. So that was good. It's a good a one. a lot of moments like that. Yeah. Okay, so back to what you liked in a man. Yeah, I definitely, I always bounced between super shy and adorable and sweet and super standoffish, elusive assholes. Girl, yes, I'm feeling that. (laughs) Yes, shy and sweet, aloof assholes. There was like Mm -hmm. no in between. No in between. No. Yeah, it was always one or the other. Right. Chelsea grew up near Seattle also and founded a theater company there. She claims that anybody can do it, so get ready to get inspired. I founded a theater company Mm -hmm. and was the founding artistic director for Copious Love Productions. What, what, Copious Love? (laughs) Um, In Seattle, Washington, they now occupy a space called Copious and Ballard, where I used to live. Okay. I've lived all over Seattle, but... How did you get into this whole theater company thing? I have legitimately been doing theater since about seven years old, I think. I was like always on stage or with a like reading aloud as soon as I started to read. Um, my parents would read to me literally. I, I mean, books before TV, we legitimately did not have cable until I was out of the house. So 1920. Um, so books, 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 and it was like a performance. And then I had an aptitude for it. And my parents were like, oh, she might actually like go somewhere with this. So they, and they both come from performing backgrounds. So they just invested hardcore and I just, uh, yeah, I did it all through high school and then into college. I went to Cornish college of the arts okay. in Seattle oh. for two years. Art school dropout, stay in school, <laughs> but if you can afford it, and if you can't, that's okay, and you can do it alone on your by yourself. Um, and yeah, and then I basically, with my best friend, Lacey, one of my best, I have like a best friend tier. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> like there's a hierarchy? There is, I ha- only because my friends and family are so ingrained together that it's like, there's bio family, logical family, that's like family. And then there it's like largely comprised of all the people that I did copious love with or that still do. Uh-huh. Anyway, yeah, long story short, it, that took off when I was like 23, 24. So it's been and then that, yeah, there's little breaks where I've taken breaks, but But how did you go about starting it? What did you have to do? She I dropped out of Cornish because I couldn't afford it. <laughs> it's very expensive. Uh or I don't know about it now, but it was back then and I could not survive in Seattle by myself, like where I wasn't making money. Right. I was just auditioning around town and she was um she took a break from theater and was just like, Let's do this show that I wrote back in high school. And so we did. We just found a space that would rent to us for like, you know, kick back what we can, a percentage of the ticket prices Uh um we had enough people that were already invested in seeing what we could do you know with nothing in high school and then out in community theater so you kind of already had like a network of yeah we were already doing yeah we were trained and we had we had enough experience to be like this is what needs to get done Mm -hmm. 
Um, and we knew the routines and we made like, we broke even or we got close enough to fund another show. And we just, so we just started writing our own shows and became a nonprofit. And then eventually, um, I started writing grants and got funded by the city of Seattle through a company or a foundation called for culture. Mm -hmm. Then it, yeah, we just kept going. We did, oh my God, I've lost count for about 10 years now. Um, and then they they got a space in Ballard and they are running it through a like copia. They call it copious. So it's involves all different kinds of art. You don't have to do theater. Oh, okay. Um, and I recently stepped out and they're just doing amazing things. So, so what, what was the high point from that experience? Like your best oh my memory? God. Well, we, it's so many that we did some cool shit. They're doing cool shit. It's amazing. We, um, yeah, I say we, cause I'm still like, I'm always going to be the founder. Um, but I'm no longer, uh, the artistic director, which is fine. I was, I'm not in Seattle. That's a hard thing to do from, uh, outside the high point probably, um, did, so we did this musical called Alice's Anthem, which was an electro cabaret and it had like Alice in Wonderland themed stuff. And we like wrote original music and it was original script and it was amazing. Yeah. That's one of the projects that will be like on a back burner of like possible film in the future. Uh-huh. But you know, cause time is a construct. We have endless amounts of time <laughs> to do all of our things. Um, th- so that was really cool. And that was a, so we did that twice uh, we had our audience tell us basically which one of our sh- first six shows I think they wanted to see us do again and we held the fundraiser and they overwhelmingly backed Alice's Anthem coming back it was amazing we also did one of the f- world I think honestly world's first interactive theater experiences uh-huh. where like we wrote a show called Codename Kansas and then made a virtual background via like interactive technology Uh so for instance we'd have like a elaborate dance fight that would come into play and the background would react with what they were doing on stage cool and we had an app that was you could like point to a character and get their whole like backstory and their like rap sheet like they were playing like a video game yeah 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 that's really fun yeah it was super cool and again like we had the city of seattle is great i don't know how it is doing now i've been out of the game for a couple of years mm-hmm. but they really did a lot to fund what we were doing or what, or what they are doing um they have a space now so they're doing all different kinds yeah. of things and uplifting all different kinds of voices in the community I don't have a degree, <laughs> but I have like a PhD master's in do it yourself, do it anyway. Love it. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm learning to like, now that I'm a solo, uh, not part of a collaboration for the first time artistically, um, as a solo artist, trying to like maximize my knowledge of mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. and teach people or at least uh, all the time I say p- people come up to me and they're like, oh, I have a story. Or when I tell them what I do and they're like, oh, I haven't doing this X, Y, Z. And I'm like, fucking do it. Like you can yeah. do literally anything. It's so easy now. <laughs> like you can get this shit. I mean, right, podcast, right. like anyone can podcast, totally. anyone can fucking cook y'all. Like it's not, if you have a want to do it, like the barriers sometimes seem so monumental. They do. And absolutely. It applies to everything, but it is like, Get it to, just do know. it. Like just do you're it. like yeah. If you're in an urban area, there is some grant somewhere that you can fucking just write 
about and someone might say yes. I mean, or you can just figure out how to do it yourself. Like the amount, the shows that we did were largely like thrift store finds and hot glue and cardboard. Yeah. And then like someone knowing someone that could come in and like fight choreograph or fight choreograph. <laughs> we go there, teach fight choreography. Like, well, maybe that's the wrong thing because you actually have to be licensed to do that, I think. But anyway. <laughs> but um, I get what you're right? saying. Right? It's yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, right. uh, get in a room and somebody will help to solve your problem. What, what made a show successful? Like, what would what would happen that you would be like, yes, that thing was successful? Honestly, that we would sell one fucking ticket. Really? Like, yeah, I yeah. never had – other than writing grants and asking for money and, like – being an advocate for the people that wanted to make the art and do the thing um, and produce. I had very little to do with like money and it really honestly didn't really matter to us. We were going to do it fucking anyway. Like we were like, this is cool. And we love doing this thing. Like this is fun. Almost all of our friends were like drama geeks or band geeks or somebody who wanted to like partake in this telling of a story. And then a lot of times I mean, there's, whole organizations of people that aren't making money that are doing art anyway right right and it that just selling one ticket and then how or and honestly to me it was when people were like oh that was good I saw something of myself in that character and that makes the voices that happen in here anyway feel like it's okay that they came out and told like dance around on stage for like two hours right right I love it yeah I mean that's kind of why I feel good and feel like I'm doing the right thing doing this podcast because it's like I don't even care if anyone listens it's a benefit if anyone listens but regardless I'm gonna do it yes I listened (laughs) like three yesterday good I'm like legitimately that was like subscribe like next listen next (laughs) good job and yeah and I have I'm like a I listened to quite a few podcasts and I was like she's onto something here I love (laughs) it I'm super impressed this is gonna go deep into one of your episodes um you well maybe even not because I've only like I said only three but you mentioned you have all of your notes from middle school and high school yes oh my god I know obsessed <laughs> obsessed it's so so ridiculous the the dedicate okay credit where credit is due that you held on to them for that long like oh my god I did a purge and now I'm like fuck yes you wish you had <laughs> I, them I 100% do I mean um, honestly I have too many it's like hundreds but it is untapped gold legitimately (laughs) i went through like a healing time recently and i was like oh maybe i i don't remember what she was like and i need to i need to get into that mindset and then i was like fuck like no it's legitimate they're gone yeah they're gone but i did have a thought because I know that's a common thing. People go through purge and they're like, I'm totally. never going to read these, right? Yes. Like it's a over what it is overwhelming almost. Mm-hmm. But you could contact those people and be like, girl, do you have any of the art? Because you got there's I don't want be, them. Like, I don't want the notes I, I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I almost want that more. Oh, God. I was like, I wonder if I've been spouting off the same bullshit forever. Oh, 100%. And maybe I'm just crazy. <laughs> But that's what it's definitely is. weird, but like, right? She came from somewhere, girl. Exactly, like. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes. And that's the thing is reading them. I'm like, oh my god, these are seriously like the same shit I'm talking about with my four year old yes. friends now. It's so yes. stupid. I can only imagine that it's a benefit having a tween in the house. Next up is John who you know from his candid stories on the Too Hot in the Hot Tub episode. 
He's a musician and spent some of his late teens, early 20s near Seattle. I would not say that it went well. We begin by talking about our unhomed community and the trash and drug paraphernalia that has been steadily increasing in the Bay Area. This will lead us right into his experiences. I just get so grossed out when I'm anywhere in the Bay Area or down in L.A. And I see people just unwrap something and throw it on the ground. It's like, dude. Dude, San Francisco's disgusting. I don't even like going over there. Yeah. Yeah. It's Oakland, too. Like, just doing the little tunnel that I came in there, you know. It's a nightmare, right? It's a nightmare, you know. And and, uh, it's tough because I think every, you know, we have enough to go around. Like, people should have access to shower and toilets but, you know, when they had the big burger boogaloo, not this year, but the year before, there was a lot of controversy because there was a lot of homeless encampments. And they got a lot of shit for kicking them out to throw the party. And I'm like, fuck that. They found like 1,500 fucking hypodermic needles. Yeah. That's fucking like, I got to tell you, as an ex-junkie, every time I used a, a rig, it went back in a bottle of water. I screwed it and I put it into the fucking waste thing. Yeah. Or, or I put or I put the, it straight in the thing. I in my life would throw a syringe at a park where children play right right so i'm sorry that you're homeless but i don't have any sympathy for that kind of thing yeah it's it's fucking gross did that last rehab take yeah yeah absolutely the the last rehab took and i think mostly because of julie really yeah she like gave you a thing to be well the nice thing was we had opposing drugs of choice so unlike my model girlfriend before her um, when I wanted to be clean, she was like, let's get fucking high, let's go score. And, uh, um, with, with Julie, um, that, you know, was never, never a thing. But I think, yeah, I think, you know, that relationship obviously saved my life. And, and I, you know, I, I gotta mention, she literally saved my life when I overdosed. I relapsed and I overdosed. She found me on the bathroom floor blue at four in the morning. And she's the one that performed CPR on me. And uh, tell the paramedics came and saved my life. So that was after your rehab stint. Like, did you yeah, have to it was kind of like or? in the phase where I'd gotten out, but I was doing like what's called aftercare or whatever. Okay. And it's a pretty classic junkie mistake. Is you're like, ooh, I want to get high, but you've been you have a couple months clean and you uh you know misjudge how yeah. much you can do right like take your standard dose and that's well too much. I, I wouldn't even do that it would be like let's take half my standard dose but still you're not ready yeah. i mean you know so you 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 know opioids are a really insidious thing i think people throw the word addiction around a lot oh I love, i'm so addicted to this fucking cheesecake or whatever um but even like any other hard drug like speed or cocaine or or whatever, you don't have a physical addiction. Alcohol, you can't too. But, you know, heroin turns you into a senior citizen vampire. You're <laughs> fucking, you're constipated. You don't want to have sex. You want to sit on your couch, rip cigs, and watch TV. Um, you don't want to travel because you don't want to get too far away from your dealer. But the main thing is, is once you're strung out you don't really get high anymore you can still nod out if you get enough but you take it to feel normal Hmm. and that to me is a definition that's like a real alcoholic too like if i'm gonna have the shakes if i don't drink you know i cannot function i feel like the worst flu ever if i don't get you know my shot or whatever and uh so i think that you know that's that's the the, what the where we're in right now is 
all these drug companies tried to expand their market share. I mean, fentanyl, oxy, and especially fentanyl, those are only applicable to people that are on their fucking deathbed hmm. and are a terminal illness with a chronic pain and you want to help them, you know, escape the vessel, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> shed the vessel into yeah. the to the nether, you know. Um, and those fucking assholes said, oh, we're going to start prescribing them for uh, stomach pain or back pain yeah. or whatever. And uh, it really hit me that, you know, I, 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 I've had this conversation with pretty much anybody younger than me that will listen. I said, don't be fooled by the stigma of needles. Uh, any of these pills or patches are just as bad, sometimes worse mm-hmm. than um, smack. And um, it really became obvious to me what a fucking epidemic it was when I started seeing commercials for opioid-related constipation on television. Oh, my goodness. I can tell you as a marketer, like, to run one TV spot, you know, aside of the cost to film it, which is probably anywhere from two hundred fifty to a million dollars, two hundred fifty thousand to a million dollars, to run it costs probably fifty to three hundred thousand dollars. So if there's enough return on investment from that kind of advertising just for a drug that helps you poop <laughs> because you're on the shit too much, we got a real fucking problem. Oh my gosh! Yeah. How did you get started doing heroin? Um, I, um, well, I met someone that was doing it. And, and, um, but I think really I got quote unquote started because, um, back to the identities episode, mm-hmm. I'd grown up a sort of bro-y, blonde hair, blue eyed surfer kid. And I'd always romanced the idea of being the cool loser. Mm-hmm. Um, Keith Richards, William Burroughs. I was like, you know, again, I was an only child, so I spent a lot of time reading. I hated my fucking blonde hair. <laughs> I hated that my hair was curly. I wanted straight black hair. Um, and I wanted to be dark and mysterious. And I was anything but. Like, you know, I was bro and flamboyant and <laughs> loud and goofy right. and silly. You know, again, mm-hmm. back to the Anthony Michael Hall thing. Mm-hmm. So... I had sort of mentally checked the box that I w- was going to try it. I was a pretty big pothead. Um, opioids are like pot times a million in terms of the effect. And um, yeah, I, uh, I was living in Seattle at the time, 1994, mm-hmm. and um, met, um, met some people um, that were very connected to the to the grunge rock stars of the day and like yeah like six months later i was shooting up next to courtney love you know and i was 20 at the time mm-hmm. and um you know the, the 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 people that that i did it with at first were at least cognizant and nice enough to prevent me from getting strung out i would like drive i was living in olympia i drive up to seattle and they would like hey like can't do this on Tuesday. Like mm-hmm. it's fine if you do it four times a month, but the ma- the main guy who's still a friend to this day that was advocating for that, he moved back to England, and um, his wife was kind of more morally dubious and wanted my cash, and kind of let me do it a little bit more. But what really did me in was I found a dealer in Olympia, and Olympia at the time was 
you know, kill rock stars and K records. It was a very straight edge scene, but there was kind of an, a little bit of an underbelly and like the local dealer in town just gave me free heroin for two weeks. And then I was <gasps> fucking strung out. Oh my gosh. And I remember like six months in, I actually said to him like, dude, you can't sell me this anymore. And he's like, I can't do that, man. This is my livelihood. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's on my, he's on my kill list. I got two guys on my kill list. He's one of them. <laughs> right. Cause another time I showed up, uh, and I woke twice. I, I like woke him up trying to get my fucking fix and buy it. Cause it's, you know, like when you're a junkie, you got to hustle to get the money. Um, you know, my, my favorite scam back in the day was like circuit city. Like I'd go in and buy a TV and then, um, sell the TV and then go back into circuit city with the receipt and pick up a new TV and then take it and return it and get my money back. And then whatever I sold the other TV for was like my dope money. Oh my god! But anyway, so it's exhaustive work being a junkie. Right. Um, and so sometimes I didn't have the money. And when I finally got the money, if my dealer happened to be asleep, he wouldn't want me to disturb him. And I didn't give a fuck. I just pounded on the door. So he beat the shit out of me twice. I looked very different then too. I think I was about 155 pounds. Right, right. At 6'1". So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So not, not much for a fighter. But, but yeah, so... That's how I got into it. Yeah. So how are you going to talk about drugs with your kids? Fucked if I know. <laughs> God, you know, I, um, I mean, are you worried about it or you're kind of like, eh, yeah, well. I worry, I worry about it all the time, you know? Um, and I think, um, you know, my wife's already had a conversation with him about marijuana. Um, and, uh, um, it's funny. Like they, I, I drink, you know, three or four times a week or whatever, but I'm not drunk. But when we went to, we went to a friend's wedding in Maui a couple years back, James is like, dad, you were wasted. You were drunk. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I fucking was. <laughs> and how dumb did I look? And he's like, pretty dumb. So. Yeah. Yeah. My kid the other night was like, oh yeah, mom, you remember that one time you guys rearranged the kitchen at like one in the morning because you had drank so much wine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, uh, yep, yep. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. yeah. Rearrange the kitchen. They're not dumb. No, they're not dumb. That's the most important thing to remember. <laughs> All right. I got to split them 20 minutes late. You gave me no advice though. Uh, I did. I didn't give you any advice. I mean, you gave me no advice about how to talk to kids about drugs. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. Come I'm... on. You, you have to give me like one wise tidbit. Okay. All right. Um, so I would say one of the reasons why I just swan dive into fucking heroin was because... I had parents that smoked marijuana and I grew up in the just say no era. And because I was a like fucking dumb white suburban kid, I didn't understand that there was a major fucking difference between heroin, crack, cocaine and, you know, LSD and pot. Yeah. You know, there's a huge fucking difference. Yeah. Between that, those, that category of and drugs category. and yeah. marijuana. So because yes. my parents smoked pot and I was getting all this propaganda thrown me at the, just say no. Like, and it's back to sex and abstinence is the only solution. Right. That's total bullshit. It's not an effective strategy. Right. So um, I think you kind of have to, you know, what, I, what I've done with James in particular, who really notices the difference between Oakland and Moraga is I say, some of these people are on the streets because they have mental illness and it's really not fair to them. They need help. Their families have abandoned them and they need, you know, state run help. Yeah. Everybody else that's out here is out here 
because they are addicted to drugs. Right. And every time you give them $5, he's like, well, why won't you give them $5 for food? I said, because they're not going to use it for food. There's shelters that are open for that. They're going to use it for drugs. And I don't want to help help them continue to throw their lives away. You know? mm-hmm. So, because I, you know, nobody did me any favors by giving me any money when I was drunk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. So you're talking about it. Explain the fucking difference. Yep. They're not all created equal. And I think it's the same thing with sex. Is like, and not just that, but there's a big difference between sex between mature consenting adults and risky sexual activity. Absolutely. Right. So basically, we can't cop out on the drug and sex talk with kids. You got to get into the details because everything's not black and white and ain't nobody just saying no. Also, teens are dumb. Take this note. I have a bottle of acid at my house that I'm going to sniff. I hope my mom doesn't find it. If I'm not at school tomorrow, you'll know what happened. Do you sniff acid? That wasn't covered in my D.A.R.E. curriculum. Seattle, thank you for all your creativity. And 90s, you can keep your cool losers. We're going with the sweet boy instead. This grunge-adjacent track is Certain Death by Donnie Drost. <laughs> 